Hi, I'm Denise Bailey. And I'm Dr. Monica Parker. And you're listening to My Parents Are Now My Kids, a medical doctor's view and daughter's journey through memory loss and other dementias. As a doctor, I'll help you navigate through the often confusing, confounding, and frequently frustrating technical aspects of dementia. And as a daughter, I'll share with you some things I've experienced caring for and loving my parents who both struggled with these disorders. We want you to have hope and to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And we'll tell you that sometimes that light is coming straight at you and you just have to get out of the way. Let's get started. Hi, Dr. Monica. Hi, Dr. Janice. Well, I miss hearing your voice and I miss you saying that. We haven't been on together in a while and I know our listeners have missed you. Catch us up on what's been going on with you. Well, I think you did just fine in my absence since you're a doctor and all. But um, I think that there's been a lot of, um, with the ending of the pandemic, everybody is kind of trying to gear up to try to do things in person. And I know this is a topic for another story, but we still need to take precautions in the pandemic era. So I've been doing a lot of traveling and a lot of people are traveling without a mask and those same people are getting infected with COVID. Maybe not as greatly as they would have had they not been vaccinated, but just for our listeners, COVID for many of us is still a risk. And for those of us that are most vulnerable, it's still a very complicated and possibly deadly risk. Well, thank you for that. And uh, we should all take heed of that. You keep telling me that and I've been listening. So I've tried to be as cautious as possible, but we are glad to have you back. So today we wanna talk about something that I'm sure our listeners have heard about, It's a new drug. The FDA has approved a new treatment for early Alzheimer's called lecanemab. Now, we've seen headlines like this before. Is this one a big deal? I think they're all potentially a big deal. The problem is we have to manage expectations and tell people that this medication is not for people who do not have Alzheimer's. Okay, on several occasions, we've talked about the different types of dementing disorders. Alzheimer's is one, the most commonly diagnosed. This medication is for Alzheimer's. It is not for vascular dementia, which is related to cardiovascular disease, hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, atrial fibrillation. It's not related to chronic traumatic encephalopathy that you get from chronic head trauma if you're a football player, combat veteran, or domestic violence survivor. It is not for Lewy body dementia, frontotemporal dementia, or HIV dementia, or any combination of those. It is only for Alzheimer's. The thing that's important for us to know, particularly for people of color, unlike the first drug, There were a total of 1,796 patients who were involved in the clinical trial related to lecanemab. Of that number, about 30% were non-Europeans or Latinos and African-Americans, about 400 people. But that was still 
as it relates to African Americans, maybe one third of that 449 people, over 400 people were African American. So what does that mean? That basically means that this medication, while it's not for all the dementias that many of us may suffer from, it also may not be as efficacious in people of color as it is in European Americans, because that's the predominant group that was tested. The other thing that we know about lecanemab, just to kind of back us up a little bit, lecanemab proved successful in slowing the disease or slowing the rate of development of amyloid protein, which is one of the abnormal proteins that we see in somebody that accumulates in the brains of people with Alzheimer's. It did slow the accumulation, but it did not stop it. So when you start thinking of cures for a disease, lecanemab, like aducanemab, is a tool that may slow the disease progression, but it won't stop it. Okay. Okay. So um, can you tell me what is the difference between aducanemab and this new lecanemab? Or is there a difference? Well, they are different formulations, but they work similarly. Their mechanism of action is similar. They retard or slow the development and accumulation of amyloid protein, which is associated with Alzheimer's uh, Alzheimer's disease. And in the future, it may not be just one of these. That's what we call each of those drugs is, is called a monoclonal antibody. And together they may, you know, there are other monoclonal antibodies in development. This one may be a little bit more efficacious than the first one. And the next one coming after this may be more efficacious than either of these two that have currently been received FDA approval. The problem is while it may slow the accumulation of amyloid or clear the amyloid protein from the brain, What's not clear is how much functional decline is prevented or restored. So I was on a program uh, in a webinar yesterday where we were talking about this very thing. And one of the things that's important is scientists look at, okay, we've given this medication and we've looked at people's brains and we see that there's less amyloid and we see that the amyloid has been cleared away. But as research has progressed, we've started looking at, okay, in Alzheimer's pathology, is it clearing the amyloid doesn't necessarily restore function. So function being your ability to feed yourself, groom yourself, toilet yourself, make sense of conversation and information that's fed to you. Clearing amyloid from the brain doesn't necessarily restore that functionality for a human being. More study needs to be done, which is why aducanumab has kind of like a conditional approval. Mm-hmm. Um, lecanumab also has an approval, but it's not full stop FDA approval such that your insurance companies are willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Hasn't gotten that level of approval yet. That's what's important about this conditional approval. So they need a little bit more data to get to that point. But when we talked about 
well, what's important about this drug for those of us who are not scientists? What we want is improvement in our abilities to function in our daily lives. And all I can say at this point is that neither one of these currently FDA-approved medications guarantees any of that. Hmm. The likelihood is that it will slow the progression. And when we keep hearing that, slow the progression, slow the progression, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that really mean? And this was the best analogy that I heard yesterday, so much so that I'm going to use it every time because it makes perfect sense. We have antibiotics that cure infections, that get rid of infections. These two medications do not get rid of Alzheimer's. They do not cure Alzheimer's. We don't have a definitive cure for Alzheimer's. So we still don't have a medication that has proven through research that it can restore cognitive ability and one's ability to live independently and enjoy a quality of life with a certain amount of independence and autonomy that all of us would like to have. People who have Alzheimer's, whether or not, whether they take this medication or not, are still going to require assistance for those things that I mentioned earlier. In order to exist in their world on this planet, they're going to need to have assistance to do that. And the interest of the average person is being able to live autonomously and independently and function to the best of our abilities without assistance. Neither one of those medications can guarantee that at this point in time. Okay. And one thing that I did read, and I'm sure you can clarify this and support this, is that this drug, lecanemab, is for early stages of Alzheimer's. So someone like my mother would not have any benefit from it, even though she has Alzheimer's. It wouldn't be for her either. Is that correct? Exactly. It would be likely for you, somebody who has no clinical symptoms or evidence of disease, you're still functioning, you're upright, able to do everything for yourself, feed, dress, groom, manage your finances and your household and your business and still function. For you, if you have the genetics similar to your mother, mm -hmm. the thing would be to check to see whether or not these medications are preventative and would keep you from developing the disease that your mother has. You want to treat people. When we say early, we mean before anybody has a symptom. Wow. So early diagnosis means at this point, early diagnosis means what's my risk of getting Alzheimer's? Do I have the genetics? Do I have an accumulation of the amyloid and the tau proteins in my brain that are indicative or consistent with the diagnosis of Alzheimer's? Even if they are there, well, I see the Alzheimer's plaque. I see the A-beta protein. I see the tau protein. Um, but clinically, I don't have any symptoms. That would be the ideal candidate. It is not for the people who have the pathology existing in their brain and have symptoms. It's not for that person. And to get that early diagnosis, am I correct? It's that PET scan again. Is that correct? It's that PET scan. 
that no insurance pays for. Right. It's a lumbar puncture to analyze cerebrospinal fluid for the pro precursor proteins that are associated with amyloid accumulation and development. It's a genetic test to see whether or not you have of the most the best studied genetic gene that goes along with Alzheimer's is this APOE4. Are you heterozygous or homozygous for that APOE4 allele? And having two copies of APOE4 means that you're at higher risk for developing Alzheimer's than not. I had the genetic test because I wanted to be in this test that would guarantee me a PET scan. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to say that I don't have the genetics that are most commonly associated with Alzheimer's. So that's a good thing for me. But I still want the PET scan. So right. I'm going to find another test for me mm -hmm. to check my own brain to see whether I have any of that accumulation. Excellent. So if you get these tests and you qualify for lecanemab, how is lecanemab administered? Well, that's another issue, which is making it very important for people to understand what this medication means. You have to get it infused. It has to be put in a vein in your vein in a you know an IV infusion or medication going through a needle in your veins in your arm, which means you have to go to a hospital or an outpatient infusion center to get this medication every other week which is going to add to the cost of administering and getting this medication. The other thing that's important to know about this particular medication is that there is a significant risk of having a brain bleed or a brain hemorrhage. Some people might say stroke depending upon how severe it is, but more importantly, there are significant side effects that are associated with this medication. And the question is, are the side effects worth the risk of getting this medication for somebody who doesn't have a symptom. Right. I had heard and read about some of those possible side effects and you know me, I'm always worried about everything. So like, Nervous Nelly. <laughs> I was like, you know, is it worth a possible brain bleed and, and swelling? Um, so there's just a lot more research and observation that needs to be done, I'm gathering. Yes. And I think if um, I were a thinking person or a person concerned about my well-being, that would be my consideration. At this stage, you know, the question was asked, would you prescribe it? And I said, well, I don't know that at this point in time, not saying four or five years later when we have more data that I won't prescribe it. But I think that at this point in time for me as a primary care physician, that's not necessarily a path that I would take, but I would want to make sure that any patient that I was managing was aware of those risks. And I'd want to counsel that patient very carefully in concert with the neurologist who will be administering that medication so that we can know what to do when when and if these people develop those brain bleeds that are associated with the medication and how do I manage those brain bleeds? Because if I'm asymptomatic 
and I'm not having any functional deficits. I want to stay that way. But having a significant brain bleed almost guarantees that I will need some assistance and I will create a problem for me. Right. That's creating a problem. That, right. You know, you don't need. And now let me ask you this. Um, I read that the cost is somewhere about $26,000 per year. That's about right. That's less expensive than Educanumab. <laughs> 28 versus 26,000. Okay. And it is not covered by insurance yet. Not covered by insurance and not covered by Medicare or Medicaid. And that's for our listeners in the United States. I'm not sure about other countries. I don't know about other countries, but in the United States of America, there is no insurer currently willing to pay for either of those. Med well, Medicare will pay for aducanumab under certain conditions. Okay. Basically, it's an extended clinical trial arm in order for Medicare to pay for it. That same kind of payment approval has not been extended to Lacanamap or Lakembi, which is going to be the trade name. Okay. Well, let me ask you this, and there may not be an answer to this yet because it's so new, but um, in patients that have taken Lacanamap, what have they experienced? Has there been any success stories? Like we know there's no cure for Alzheimer's, but have they seen any improvement? I think the stories on a improvement are variable. I know that there are patients that have been in the clinical research trial at Emory who have participated in that clinical trial. And their relatives have said, have said, and we had this special ceremony to honor people who died and partic after participating in our research. You know, they died over time. We, research didn't kill them. That they felt that the medications were helpful. And if they hadn't had the medications, they don't think that their husband would have lived as long and as well if he hadn't been on those medicines. So anecdotally, Families who participated in the research trial did feel that there was a benefit to being on the medication. So I'm hopeful that as things progress and we refine the medication and we refine who it's for, I'm hopeful that that will be the case for everyone. But different people had different responses. But one woman who came up to me after our on a reception and indicated that this was really very much something that worked or she felt helped her husband. I mean, that that's hopeful. That's positive. That was one. And I'm sure that the 1790 some other people had other stories to tell. I don't know what they are, but from the rating scales that are used by the neuropsychologists to measure cognitive function, there were statistical improvements or let's say slower declines versus those people who were on placebo medication. Okay. Well, thank you. That is a lot of good information. And I hope our listeners learned from this. And I certainly did. It's good to know because we hear quite often and we can read quite often that there are 
new drugs coming out and new trials and it's good to get some details about what these drugs are about how they've been tested and their efficacy so thank you dr monica <laughs> you're welcome denise we love to hear from you please follow us on twitter npmk at npmk podcast and on facebook and instagram my parents are now my kids see you next time